I wanted to start just this afternoon with a prayer, a time of prayer together. Um, and so I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and it may be a little bit unfamiliar to you, the kind of prayer that it is. Uh, and I'm going to talk about it afterwards. So I'm going to have that experience of I'm not going to like preach and teach and then ask you to do it. I'm just going to lead us straight into it. So if you can, just sort of for a moment, give yourself to this prayer. Um, we're going to ask Holy Spirit to come in His unique way, in the way that He already is here to speak and abide in us. So just in, in whatever position you like to pray, whether it's eyes closed, eyes open, or just sitting in your chair, just breathe for a moment. I realise that even after all of the worship and the singing and everything, we all still come to these spaces loaded with stuff, be it life or anxieties or hopes or thoughts or stresses or just too much brunch. Just be aware of it. Be aware of your breath and just be still. And just there as you're still just pay attention to what you're hearing, the space that God has brought you to in this moment, the sounds around you. It's what you're feeling. And even just literally, just where your feet are touching the ground, where your body is touching the chair, this space, this place that God has deliberately brought you to in this moment. the lightness or the weight of your body. And you might be feeling stuff in your life, lots of questions, lots of things racing through your mind, and almost if you can, just see them and acknowledge them and let them be. There's no need to deny it. God sees it. You see it. And just kind of sit with you, sit with your life, sit with this moment. And thoughts will come and go, just let them move through. And then if you want to imagine for a second that there is a space in your chest or wherever you sort of locate your deepest part of you. And where that is, you can imagine almost like sort of window doors that open outwards. And imagine opening those up to God as if to say everything, all of it, what I'm proud of and what I'm ashamed of, what I'm ashamed of, what I can feel and what I'm numb to. Every single part of me and who I am, all of it is open. It's open. And just for a moment, imagine being completely and utterly open toward God.
What's his response? What does he say or do? How does it feel to just be? And then just from that space, slowly bring yourself back to an awareness of the room, the sounds of your feeling on the chair of God in this place. Father, we thank you for your love, that you are love, that you're with us. Praise you, we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. So no doubt some of you were probably thinking, what is this hippie, nutty stuff? And why is that guy wearing a beanie in church? In a prayer time like that, some people will feel a lot and experience a lot and lots will feel not a lot, maybe even nothing. But the truth is, and what I want to share with you this afternoon, is that prayer is a relationship between who we are and our entire existence and who God is. And most of the time, the struggle in prayer isn't that God's not showing up, it's that we're not being honest. And most of the time, we're not being honest because we feel like there are parts of our lives that God doesn't want to see or shouldn't see or that we can't bring to Him, right? You can only know someone to the extent in which they offer themselves to you. You can know someone for 10 years and know nothing about them if they're unwilling to let you in, right? Prayer is a two-way street exactly the same. And I want to suggest that most of the time, the church struggles with prayer, and we do struggle with prayer, don't we? Right? Does anyone here struggle with prayer? I struggle with prayer, and I talk about it a lot. Um, Most of the time, we struggle with prayer because ultimately we struggle to accept this one unchangeable fact that God loves us as we are. And so that prayer is an exercise in bringing ourselves into our existence and bringing our existence to God so that He can relate to all of us. And I want to just basically unpack that for the next two and a half hours. That's all right. Um, And here's why. Because we are in a rebuilding moment of the church, right? Um, It hasn't been a good couple of years. Uh, I don't think it has been. But on top of that, really, it actually hasn't been a good couple of decades for us on the whole, um, for lots of reasons, some totally fair, some totally unfair. But I think the majority of us would agree that in this moment right now, something has to change. 
um, something, something real has to emerge and come up right out of the ashes of what has been a really punishing season for us. And I think if you're here, you must feel that deeply because a lot of people left over the last couple of years, everywhere, in every country. A lot of people just said, I'm okay without it, which says a lot about us, right? Or at least a lot about our view of church community and who God is and vice versa. Um, and I'm not, and those people, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those people or that they're immature. A lot of those people are mature Christians too, in many senses. I'm doubling back on myself. We're in a rebuilding moment. And what I want to share with you this afternoon is what I think is the foundation for where we are going as a church and has always been the foundation where we've been going on as a church, but we've, we've forgotten. We've got amnesia. Um, and I want to share about that. Um, there's a writer, a French aviator called Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, which I hope I pronounced rightly. He's credited for saying this, if you, build, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. In other words, most of us here, we're not really motivated by, you know, getting in and doing the mahi, right? <laughs> Nobody wants to. I'm 37, I still don't want to work. <laughs> I thought that would change after some point. <clears throat> What motivates us is the vision, the dream, the end point, the beauty. I love what you were saying, Natalie. The beauty, the wonder of why we're here in the first place. We have to recapture that. So I want to talk about that endless, endless ocean and what the Spirit, I feel the Spirit is saying to us as a people um, and how God longs to, to kind of, I believe, guide and shape the church in this moment. But first, some personal context. Uh, as I mentioned, three years ago, I moved to Tairua. So we were living in Auckland. I was working here at Central and loving it. Um, but for many, many reasons, and ultimately the movement of the Spirit within us, we moved to the small town of Tairua, which is about 17, 18. Has anyone been to Tairua? You've, you've, people are always like, I've never been to Tairua. And I'm like, there's a four square and a bakery, and it's on the way to Fidianga. And people are like, oh, Tairua. Um, it's the most aged population in New Zealand. There you go. Um, so I go to a small Anglican parish there with about 17 other people who are quite literally twice my age. Uh, and then my three boys, which if you've ever met my kids, man, they are like, whew, yeah, they're good. Love those kids. Um, and we're like a tornado family. I mean, the first day we came in, everyone introduced them to ourselves. Anyways, it was amazing. So we moved to Tairua and I was thinking, this is going to be great. I'm going to like pick up fishing and go surfing and just get ripped and stuff, which I already was, but I thought, why not get more ripped, you know, obviously. Um, and instead what happened was I ended up becoming, I have this long journey with chronic sickness. I've been sort of battling this since 2015 or a little bit beforehand. And um, we moved to Tairua and I ended up just getting really sick, which was a major bummer. So I did decide to, put, to take up surfing though. So I got a surfboard given to me and I went out on the water. It was like flat as ice, right? It was like basically just a couple of wakes, which I was like, that'll do me, mate. So I'm out there on my board and I pull myself up onto my board and like literally I just lie down on complete flat waist high water and my rib just explodes, just straight out of the side. I was like, ah! But because there was other surfers out there, <laughs> And I felt really embarrassed about the fact that I wasn't even wet yet and I was in pain. I just kept surfing for like 10 minutes, which I don't know if you've ever tried to surf with a broken rib, but it was just, I mean, I looked like an idiot. I looked as bad as I felt. 
But I came in and I was like, man, it's super weird to break a rib like that. And it took about three months to heal and all the, all the things. I went out again and broke another rib. Same thing, getting lying down on a board for like five minutes. And it turned out that um, I had to go to a doctor and get a scan that I've got osteoporosis, which is a bone disease. So my whole dream of like, I'm going to go to Tairua and get utterly ripped and basically just grow long hair, become blonde and surf all the time, um, which is, I think, what happens, um, was dead. And actually, because of that, I had to get a whole bunch of tests. They had to feed me all this junk that made me sick about nine months. So for about three or four months, I just spent in a chair pretty much unable to hardly talk at all to the kids of Katie or anything. And this just went on and on. So what happened was that I moved to this small town that is a retirement town with no other young families. After traveling the world as a musician for 10 years, broke my ribs, got osteoporosis, got really sick, ran out of Netflix because Netflix sucked for like a year there, right? Like it just got real sad. Um, and so I'm sitting there in my chair like an old man just praying, saying, God, life is unbelievably boring. This is like, pull my hair out, weeping to the just pain of how boring life is. Has anyone felt that? Like life just doesn't meet your expectations? And I kept thinking, you know, like if I was really good, I'd start reading books. So I started reading books and I was still bored. I mean, there's only so much amount of time you can sit in a chair um, in a day before you're just over it. And, you know, it gets in winter there, it gets dark at like 5.30 and there's no streetlights. So it's proper dark and nobody goes out. There's, nobody goes and hangs out or anything. It's just dead. And so I was sick. I couldn't surf. It was totally dead. And I'm praying this prayer, God, life is totally boring. And I just feel him say back to me, as he often does with me, Strawn, life isn't boring. You are boring. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thanks, God. It's really kicking me when I'm down, mate. You know, like, whatever happened to encouragement? Um, and I sat with that for a little bit, quite upset and offended. I probably shared words, knowing me. Um, but then I really started to think about it. And I think what God started to show me was that in this moment of my life, I was really facing the world as it actually is, facing it as it is. And it's boring. <laughs> Things go really, really slow. Have you ever tried to plant food and eat it on the same day? It just doesn't work. I didn't know that. <laughs> you just go to the supermarket, you pull something out of the luminescent fridge thing. It's like, a, I don't even know, it's, it didn't even come from an animal. It's just protein in a plastic pack, right? You move down there, everything takes time. You can't even fish all year. I didn't know that. Fish only come around certain times a year. So I'm like surfing on the beach for a year before someone tells me you cannot surf on the beach all year. And then I surfed like two, uh, fish for two weeks and caught tons of snapper. It was amazing. Life is slow. Life is very slow. And what I was learning was that I'd come from a city, all the, all the tricks we have here, we build high buildings, right? We have multiple amounts of cafes and restaurants and music and theatre and arts and big churches with lots of young people in them. It's very exciting for me. I've already taken photos. Um, I haven't, actually. That's probably a creepy thing to say. Um, we build our lives to bring our energy up and to keep it up, right? And when we can't keep that energy up, we're disappointed. Enter your 20s, right? When you start to realize what life really is and you're working all the time and you're like, hang on, this isn't what I thought it was. And so what I had to do in my life was learn to not try and place my expectations on the world to be what I wanted it to be. 
some big adventure that's always throwing exciting things in my face. I had to slow down and allow myself to be changed by what life really is. I had to accept that it's just going to be really dark for seven months of the year, that fish aren't always in the water and so you just got to make hay while the sun shines, that I don't always have control over what my body's doing, um, and that the simple things in life like cooking a meal with my children or waking up early and having a coffee when the sun is rising or just simply breathing in oxygen is the point. I was learning that life itself was actually really deep and profound, but I wasn't tuned in. I wasn't tuned in. Because you can, you can get out of a city, right? But we are internally hardwired to be urban. Our internal expectations, it's loud in here. Does anyone feel that? It's really loud. It's loud in here for me. I'm a, I'm a five on the Enneagram. Um, so at the same time, though, God was, was teaching me about a life of prayer. So here's, here's what I want to say. When it comes to prayer, most of our struggle with prayer is exactly the same as my struggle is with Tairua. Our expectations are like over here somewhere because of how we've imagined God to be and what we expect from Him. And He's all the way over here speaking and moving and being active and alive. And we're like, God doesn't speak and He's not moving and I can't feel Him and I don't know Him, right? And the key isn't that we need to change God, like God's not doing enough or something, that He's not godly enough. The key is that we need to be transformed. So how do we do that? Are you tracking with me? You guys are deadly silent. Great. If you're too quiet, I will tell more jokes and everyone will suffer. Most importantly, my wife. What? That's weird. Okay, so in prayer, there are two, two realities to our prayer. There's the mystical reality and there's the practical reality. So by mystical, what I mean is the, the mystery of prayer. If, like God is mysterious and much of what, like, I don't know if you've ever read the New Testament and then looked at your life and seen a difference. That's mystery to me. Well, maybe not to me because I know, but in your life. So mystical simply means there is a spiritual reality to prayer that is a little bit beyond our ability to understand. And then there's the practice, there's the practical. So the mystical reality is this, um, that through Christ, through Jesus, you and I are caught up, like literally caught up into the Trinity who is God. The Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who were eternally pre-existent to our history. Pre-Big Bang, in other words. Constantly in ever-giving love and unity with one another. Just think nuclear joy. Like unmeasurable joy, satisfaction, and love. The kind of love that only rom-coms can show us. <laughs> That's bad love. Don't follow that love. This is the Trinity. The Trinity is not static, right? So sometimes we pray to a God, we imagine maybe an old man in a chair. Or we might even imagine, if we're more Eastern, like a kind of the force, you know, this kind of ambiguous spirit that's sort of like thin or just floating around. Um, I don't know what the Trinity actually looks like, but it's not that. 
It's three different persons fully engaging in conversation and dialogue and celebration. Theologians call it a divine dance. That, that person, that community is who you and I exist in right now, in this moment. And it's, Jesus says this in John 15, 19, uh, 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So our, our invitation into this experience of God is founded on love, right? Not just any love. So here's the problem we can get with the gospel sometimes. We, have, we don't say this to each other, we'd never preach it, but this is kind of what we believe. God is all powerful, all magnificent, high above and majestic. And we are pretty rubbish. Even though we're made in His image, we're pretty rubbish. And so God had to fix that problem by sending Jesus to die for us, so then He kind of has to love us, right? He kind of has to, because it's, it's a legal thing. His son fulfilled the law. So when we pray, God's like, yes, oh, you're kind of a bummer, but I have to love you because of Jesus, and you keep claiming Jesus' blood, and I keep having to love you, right? Come on, there's a bit of truth in that, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this pre-existent communal love of, of God that has zero reserve whatsoever for each other. This love that needs nothing else in existence in order to be perfect and true and holy, as that love, as I've received that love, so have I loved you. So does God love you. You're invited into that kind of love. And if that doesn't take your breath away, man, you've been sitting in church for too many years because that is, that is astounding. That is astounding love. I mean, I love my children more than I, I even thought was humanly possible, but I'm still horrible to them. <laughs> in my brokenness, I'm still horrible. I still get grouchy. I still don't know how to love them like that. And here Jesus is saying, that's the kind of love we're receiving. He says in John 15, 20, on that day, and this is where we get this invitation into the Trinity. On that day, I will, you'll realize I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. That's not a metaphor. That is a literal theological truth, a mystical truth, because how does that make any sense, right? You still look as funny as you did the day before you were a Christian, but now you're different. And in John 15, 23, it says again, my father will love you, will come and make a home with you. I like the way that uh, the writer of Ephesians puts it. And God raised us up with Christ. So this is important. We are, we are in Jesus Christ, right? So Jesus is fully God and fully man. So he invites us to be our humanity, to be fully invited into God's divinity through Jesus. And Jesus is in God. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He has raised us up and seated us. Have you, have you ever read Revelation? What the heavenly realm looks and sounds like? It's pretty wild up there. Lots of weird eyeballs on things. Where Jesus is, where Stephen, the first martyr of the church, looked up and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, 
we are also in Christ in that space somehow mysteriously. Isn't that wild? Do you ever think about that? That, that somehow we're in two places at once and I'm probably going to get in trouble here and push it too far. How is that possible? And yet the writers go so far as to say, we are literally in Jesus who is literally in God and that means something. And he goes on to say, in order that in the coming ages, as in, in the coming seasons of life in every human being that comes to him, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness toward us. So we are in Christ just so God can be kind to you. Kind to you. Isn't that beautiful? Paul in Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your heart? So in the same way as that we are seated in Christ in heaven in some mysterious way, your body is now the home of God himself. Your body. Think about the miracle of that for a second. That the God who stretched the heavens, the cosmos, really, really far, created planetary systems and gravity, neurons and photons and all that stuff, who, who literally paints the sky every night with a different hue with the sun. He's chosen not the temple in Israel or some random far off planet to live, but literally exists in every fleshly human form of us here today. Temple of God. It's astonishing. And I know it's rudimentary. I know lots of you are like, I know, bro, I've read the Bible. But I think, I don't think we bring our faith to this anymore. I don't know if we believe it. I don't know if I believe it anymore. We become so casual with it, don't we? I'm a new creation. If you think about what we're saying is outrageous. We're saying that someone puts their whole body underwater for like two seconds and that when they come up, they are literally something other that could not possibly exist if they hadn't gone under. They are lifted up into the Trinity of God. They are a new creation. I mean, this is astounding. This is revolutionary. This is culty as. <laughs> and if we don't believe it, we will always struggle with prayer. Because this is what prayer is. This is what unceasing prayer is. Unceasing prayer is being unceasingly existent in the Trinity. Okay, so three implications for this. One, we are living containers of prayer. What do I mean by that? In Hebrews 8, 34, we're told that Christ intercedes where He is in heaven. He intercedes for the church. That's what he's doing. Do you ever wonder what Jesus is doing? He's like, ministry years over. He's got his heavenly retirement home. He's probably drinking, ski, smoking cigars in a heathen imagination, but not in my imagination. Um, he's not. He's praying for you right now. He's praying for us. So we're in Christ and Christ is always praying. Therefore, whether we are consciously aware of it or not, we are existing in a state of prayer in Christ. That's a mystical reality. I'm not saying we understand it. I'm not saying that we experience it all the time. 
but that's true. Again, in Romans 8, 26 to 27, we read this strange verse where it says, but when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit Himself who dwells within us intercedes for us with groans that are beyond understanding, right? So the second reality of that, second truth of that is that because the Holy Spirit abides in us, we are always praying. The Holy Spirit is always praying in us. So just imagine this weird loop where we're, because we're actually living inside God and God is always praying and talking and communing with Himself, we are constantly caught up in the waters of God's intercession, prayer and affection and love and praise. That never ends. And wherever you walk and whatever you do, you are carrying this Trinitarian prayer everywhere. Amazing, eh? Isn't that amazing? Can you already feel how it starts to change the way you think about the moment you decide to pray? It has all kinds of implications about how we even begin prayer or where we look to when we pray or what we expect to feel and experience. I love this quote by St. Isaac the Syrian. When the Spirit has come to reside in someone, that person cannot stop praying for the Spirit prays without ceasing in him. No matter if he is asleep or awake, prayer is going on in his heart all the time. So this is a relief. You've been praying all day. You didn't even know it. You are super righteous. <laughs> okay, so we're living, we're living containers of prayer. Second thing, prayer is primarily the art of listening and responding. Prayer is always a response. Our entire existence as Christians is a response. What does the Scripture say? We love because God first loved us. Even while we were still sinners, even while we were enemies, God loves us. All of our faith is response and prayer is response. Prayer is our simply saying yes to this process. Yes to God. Yes, Father, I will receive your love. Yes, Father, I will receive your life. Yes, I will accept your kindness. Yes, I will allow you to pray and abide and thrive in me. Prayer is primarily responding. It's about us noticing the movements of God. And then third, prayer is far more than conscious mental dialogue. It's participation in God. That's it. It's communion. It's existence with God. In the same way as marriage is so much more than date nights and conversations over wine, it's more than that. It's an existence together. That's what prayer is. It's pretty liberating, hey, I think. Okay, so that's the mystical, but let's be honest, we don't often feel that, and it's not easy to exist in that space, right? So what is the practical elements of this. So there's a practical reality to prayer and it's this. We don't always experience this consciously and it's up to us to wade deeper into this offer of our yes to God's love. Practically, we bring our bodies and our minds and our thought life and our action and our faith and our existence, we bring it into this reality that already exists and that takes the rest of our lives <laughs> because on this side of eternity you and I are not going to live in this perfect 100% state of union with God where all we experience is Trinitarian prayer because of the brokenness of the world and because well we're us <laughs> well I'm me I'm putting that on you so okay 
So what does that mean for us? We need to learn to bring God into our bodies or we need to bring awareness of God into our bodies, minds and our being into conformity with the reality of what already exists. So here's what prayer is not. I need to go and pray to draw God near. That is not what prayer is at all. I need to go and pray so that God will love me more. I need to go and pray so that God will bless me. I need to go and pray so that dot, dot, dot. That is not the point of prayer. Prayer always begins with, I'm going to pray in response to what God has done for me to make it more true, to live it out in my life and to seek for Him to boldly go where we haven't gone together yet. Here you go, Star Trek reference. How do I make sense of that? Okay, let's talk about marriage again. So the day that I was married, I don't remember much about it because I really don't like formality and it freaked me out. So I remember doing the last dance, which I screwed up three times. They had to stop the music three times because when Katie and I met, we were ballroom dancers when I was 11. And uh, we became Latin American champions. So we were like, we'll study Latin American for our dance, for the first dance and do it and impress everybody. No. I've mucked it up three times. They just stopped the music and then I forgot it and just did the wiggle. So that's all I remember, sadly, about my wedding day. But here's what I know. On my wedding day, I was proper married, right? I, you, I could say after I'd signed those papers, said my vows, the I do's, that I was literally married to Katie. I was married. And yet, I've actually had to spend every day, moment and hour since then becoming married to her, right? So marriage isn't just a moment. Marriage is, is, it's true that we were married on that day and it's more true that we're married today and tomorrow I will make it even more true and the next day and the next day. It's not a once-off thing, right? So it makes it so challenging and so enlivening and adventurous. That's what I'm talking about with prayer. The mystical reality is we are in Christ, seated in heavenly places in the Trinity, the practical reality is we spend the rest of our lives making that more true by living in relationship with God. And that's unceasing prayer. So praying, praying unceasingly is the art of saying, I do to God every moment of our lives in every season and place, making our union more true. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, Strawn, what about intercession and petition? Um, it's not an either-or thing. I mean, if the Spirit in Christ is interceding and you're living into that truth, you will intercede. If you're drawing near to God, your heart for the world and your pain at its pain will increase drastically. Um, it, it's natural. And even if it's not natural, these are not opposing ideas because we still sit down and pray through God for the world, but it comes from a different position. In this reality... I'm praying with God for the world. I'm not like getting on my knees and trying to stir something up and, and say, God, have you seen this? I'm feeling his heart and I'm praying with him. So how do we live this out in our prayer lives? How do we actually make this thing real in our lives? I want to suggest it's through a, a way of praying, a form of prayer called beholding. Um, and beholding is simply our gazing into God as He gazes in, into us as we gaze back into Him. It's an attentiveness to God. And it's an attentiveness in a particular way. It's an, it's a, an attention of love. It's our accepting that God is always eyes on us, loving us, 
and that we are learning to always have eyes on him, loving him. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it more succinctly. We all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. That word contemplate literally just means, in the Greek, to gaze upon or to look upon. We all who with unveiled faces are looking upon God's glory, and God's glory isn't His fame in this sense, theologically. It's His beauty. It's the beauty of God, His wonder, His goodness, His like astounding uniqueness. As we do that, we are transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. And just a little side note, if you know much about neuroscience and the way the brains work, um, we now call this mirroring. Um, mirroring is actually really hard to say. It's like milk or rural. It's things you can't say in, with a Kiwi accent. Um, mirror neurons. So how do you learn love and joy and happiness? Neurons in your brain see other people's love, joy, happiness, and they, do, they copy them. And that's how you become loving and joyful and empathetic which is why empathetic parents breed empathetic children and why when you come to church and you see someone looking at you with love, you become more loving. So what we're seeing in Corinthians here is our mirroring God's beauty and love by staring at it. Isn't that amazing? And our brains are literally hardwired to imitate and welcome it into our brains. Um, Some... David in Psalm 27 puts it this way, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon His beauty. Is it challenging for you to think of prayer as simply learning to look upon the beauty of God? Is it challenging? I kind of think that's challenging. It's not really how I was taught to pray in the communities that I came up through when I was younger. It's a, it was a paradigm shift for me. But what I was learning in Tairua as my life was becoming more boring and I was learning to see life for what it was, God was inviting me to see God for who He was, to look at Him with beauty, to slow down, to unnoise, to change my expectations and to allow Him to love me, to allow Him to stare at me with kindness and to learn to live in an unceasing gaze with him. Brother Lawrence, a 17th century Carmelite monk, in his book, Practicing the Presence of God, which if you haven't read, read, yet, read yet, you totally should, puts it this way, way more simpler than I ever could. I make it my business only to persevere in his holy presence, wherein I keep myself by a simple attention and a general fond regard to God, which I may call an actual presence of God or to speak better, a habitual, silent, and secret conversation of the soul with God. St. John of the Cross says, he calls it a loving attention. In other words, God just wants us to see him. And he wants us to just know that we're seen. And prayer is that simple. And we can do that by just constantly throughout our day training ourselves just to remember that God's there. It's to pray like I shared with you at the start, to just become aware of where you are, because we're so disconnected, eh? I mean, I feel like I, could, I would love to just sit here and talk about industrialization and commercialism and consumerism and technology and how we're just totally disconnected from ourselves. Even just to sit in the moment, 
to hear the world say, God, I see you. If you could just set an alarm on your phone for every hour of the day that just says, behold, and when it happens, just simply stop for two, one minute, breathe deep, remember where you are, and say, I, res- I say yes to you, God, I see you. That would be the best thing you could do for your prayer life. So to finish, the gospel is the story of God's proposal to us. That's it. I love Dan, what Dan shared about the wine. It's just, what a beautiful image, not just for Eucharist, but for the cross. It's just God simply saying, will you love me back? Will you love me back? It's the greatest commandment. The church is in the place we're in, not because of our intellectual misgivings or because we didn't have enough money or we did the wrong thing with mandates or whatever. We're here because our love for God has grown cold. Mine has grown cold. Everything, every diagnosis is always about this love because we can't get it right, right? The invitation is just to love him and to let him love us. And, and honestly, it sounds primary school simple, but I genuinely believe that as a community of Central Vineyard, if you can learn to love God and to return his gaze of love, to live a life of prayer, which is an existence aware of God's love in you and him and in others, you'll transform this place because it's the rarest thing in the world to find someone with stillness and wholeness. Will you let God love you? Will you love him? And will it let you shape your existence? All the other prayer we've learned these last couple of weeks springs out from that. All life springs out from that. So I just want to pray to close. I really wanted to finish with a really practical gung-ho. Here's three ways. But there's just, there's just not. Only you will know. Each of us has a different journey. Only you will know where your heart's at. Only you will know if you really want that and only you will know how you could admit to yourself that you don't want it enough. Because we just don't. None of us do. But that's okay, because God loves us anyway. So we're we just going to give some time for the Holy Spirit. I don't know, um, um, brother, do you want to come up and brother Nick? I'm like a monk now, brother Nick. You talk about the Trinity for half an hour, eh? you're all brother, sister. Um, just going to take a moment and here's what we're going to do to just sit, to acknowledge that God loves us and to invite him to help us love him back, to see with our deepest, most parts God and to let him see us. And we're just going to do that for one minute and then close in prayer and give it to Dan.
Father, like the Psalmist of 139 says, it's just too much to take in your love and your thoughts. Just almost impossible. But God, we want to say yes to your love and we want to be a people of love that live a life of prayer, a life of existence in you. And so would you take our bodies, our minds, our lives, the stuff we want to bring, the stuff we're terrified to bring or the stuff we are way too ashamed to bring and would you see it? Would you make burning hearts even more alight for you and would you make dead hearts alive? We love you. Help us to love you. Praise you, God. You're worthy of every cell in our bodies and breath. We praise you. In Jesus' name.